Gosh, don't you wish that boy could sing? It's a shame he can't. Mm. It brings me back to, um, there's a time in my life for about 15 years out of the 32 years of my life, so majority, where um, I had like a real thing for Brian McKnight. Ooh, child. And um, yeah, he reminds me of that, just a little lighter. Um, <clears throat> so I am so honored to be here with you today. If you do not know me, my name is Jen Rama, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, newbie, I'm the newest pastor, I think, maybe here. Um, I've been here about six weeks. And normally I love to use humor. Um, I just like to be funny. And I think the Lord blessed me. My mom, Tammy, Pastor Tammy, is not funny. Um, I'm pretty sure she's live streaming this today, so I just needed a shout out to her. Um, but you, get, you use what you, she's a good storyteller, you know. So anyway, um, but um, I am honored to be here. And normally I like to use humor. And my husband and I were going over this message, and he's heard it like seven. 17 times, um, because he lets me know when I'm using too much of me and not enough of Jesus. And so, um, and so he's like, babe, you know, I love the story. It's comical. I think he also didn't want me to share it because it was about him and an embarrassing moment. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, how much played into that, but he was like, I feel like you need to be raw and vulnerable today. And that's not something I enjoy doing. Um, and so here we go. Are y'all ready to just hear what happened? It, it has been happening in my life. So let's go ahead and pray. And then we're going to jump into it. Father God, you are so good. God, we are humbled um, to just be in this house, Lord. How many people um, can't even go walk into a church? How many people are hiding their Bibles out of fear because of their governments? And Lord, here in America, we are so blessed to be able to come into this house and worship you and learn about you and be in community with you, God. And so I just want to first off say thank you, God, for this the opportunity, God, I just want to pray for the hearts of everyone here. May our hearts be open. May our minds be open, God. May a supernatural blessing just pour over this message. And may everyone walk out of here feeling renewed um, and excited to do life here at Influence Church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, um, if you do not know, if you do not gather, I am Pastor Phil and Tammy's um, daughter, their only daughter, so their favorite daughter, and, um, and we recently moved here from Colorado. Um, has anybody ever had a, like, someone speak over you and, like, you got really nervous that it might be fulfilled? You're like, oh, shoot, let's hope not, right? Like, sometimes you're like, huh, I'm going to have to check in my spirit if that was really the Lord, right? Because it's, it's like, you know it's real, but you're scared that it might be real. So anybody at the women's conference this February? Okay, cool. So at the women's conference, Bianca, who I adore and I just love, we were in the green room. We were talking for about 30, 25, 30 minutes. And she said, Jen, I have a word for you. And this I was excited about because I'm like, homegirl knows where it's at. Like, I'm ready. Like, give it to me. Give it to me. And she said, Jen, you're Jonah. You have been running away from your calling for, and she stopped, and then she said, about 10 years. And it's time to come home. Now, what she did not know is that I had been out of ministry for 10 years. Only the Lord could have told her that. What she also did not know is that my husband and I, at Christmas, we were standing in line for uh, Indiana Jones at Disneyland, and he said, I really want to move. I have on my heart to move. And at first I said no, and then the second time I said no, and then the third time I said no, and then my brother Josh, who you'll see in October, who's going to come preach, uh, chewed me out. And then I said, okay, we'll, we'll think about moving. 
And so she had no idea that one of the places that we had on our list to move was San Diego. And so I just began to cry and I just began to weep and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. What she also did not know is that I promised myself I would never come back to Orange County. If you do not know my story, I struggled very severely with an eating disorder. Um, I got very, very um, small and uh, really struggled for years. And every time I would step foot in Orange County, this spirit would come over me where I immediately felt attacked. I went to college at Azusa. I I lived um, in this area. And so I promised myself I would never allow myself to go back there. And so when she said it's time to come home, that scared me. It scared me to go back to a place that I feared because of my past. And so I said no. And so Brandon and I we were applying to all these places, and I said, anywhere, San Diego, cool, baby, that's fine, but we're not going to Orange County. And so what is humorous about this is that I said, hey, we have from Christmas till the end of June to find a job. If you don't find a job by then, like, it's off the table. And this is kind of how our marriage is, and I have, like, the sweetest, most amazing husband. He's not here. He was at first service because he, he had to go put the baby to bed, but he's just like, all right, hon cool, let's, let's give it till June. And so we are applying. I was applying for him. What I did not know is I applied for him for a job that was in San Diego, but I didn't know, know his position was in Irvine. And so he gets an interview. I'm like, awesome, I'm super stoked. He has two brothers in San Diego. I have a brother in San Diego, um, the one that chewed me out, the word just, I love him. And, um, and he's like, hon, like the interview is in Irvine. I'm like, oh, maybe that's just corporate. I'm not gonna worry about it. So then he has a second interview. Then they fly him out, and he finds out it's in Irvine. And I'm like, no, I just told you I ain't going back there. And, um, and so what I did is I gave him a list of 10 things that needed to happen in order for us to move there, like specific, like, like a salary that was way too high. And like not just in good insurance, but like Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance. And like not just like, you know, I'll pay for a course here and there. Like we'll pay for you to finish your master's degree, like crazy stuff right? And he calls the next day and he's like, hey, hon, this is like crazy, but they granted all 10 things that you, (laughs) that you demanded. (laughs) And so I said, okay, let's go. And so he moved out over July 4th. I stayed in Denver because our home was for sale. And also I was in a sales position and I was waiting for a bonus because the other prerequisite was I wanted to come here debt-free. It's expensive, y'all know. I'm not about to be wrangled in debt. And so I told him, I said, we, I have to wait till I get these bonuses and, and you know, work a couple more weeks and months or however long it takes to get this down. And so, he, so we agreed. And it was probably the hardest, one of the hardest times of my life because you know when you normally have help and then all of a sudden you don't? Okay, so our house is for sale. We have an open house and someone ran into our garage door like literally ran into it. So we had to get a new garage door. Then all of a sudden, like the front lights aren't working. And so I called the handyman. He's like, oh yeah, a rodent um, chewed through the wiring and you're gonna have to get this all replaced. And then um, I walked in one day from work and like there was water everywhere and the dishwasher had exploded. Mind you, I have a toddler who just learned that slapping is a fun way to love on mom. And so uh, that's great. And so um, I'm doing this all by myself and working a full-time job. And when you're in sales, you're never really off. Like it's funny at when I joined the church, like you have to work on Sundays. I'm like, bummer, I'm used to working seven days a week and 17 million hours because no one ever cares that you're off the clock because you ain't off the clock. So I was like, oh, praise him. Like I'm used to working 70 hours with people cussing me out and no one can cuss you out here. Woo-hoo. Um, and so, 
Side note. So anyway, so everything's just breaking. Oh, we had this complaint where some guy's like, I'm seriously concerned with the state of this home because the sprinkler system broke and I was, I didn't know how to work it. And Brandon and I are FaceTiming. I'm like, I don't know how to work it. It says that it's running for 20 minutes. He's like, well, clearly it's not. It looks like a desert in there. And I'm like, oh, way to help, right? Like, you're just like, oh my gosh, everything is breaking. And then Gracie Bell starts getting fevers at school. I'm pretty sure it was because she was teething and it was super hot in Colorado this year, like 100 degrees day after day after day. Um, And so they'd send her home. So now I'm trying to work with a toddler who's screaming stickers while I'm on the phone with the CFO of Frontier trying to have him give me $100,000 for this solution. It was a nightmare. And I'm packing up the house by myself. Um, And so... One day, I just remember sitting on the couch, and I'm hyperventilating, something I have never done. I grew up in Jersey. We straight thug. You can't come at me, man. Like, I'm, I'm tough. Like, hold my hoops. Like, I'm not worried about it. But, um, but I just started crying, and it was the day I surrendered to Jesus again, something that happens often for me, but surrendering to Jesus. But I just surrendered, and I said, fine, I'll go. And I called Brandon. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't wait for the bonus. I'm just, this is so hard. Everything's breaking. It's not working. I don't know what to do. And he was like, come on, baby, just come on out. We won't worry about it. And of course, he feels so helpless because he can't do anything. And, um, and so the next day, I called my boss, and I said, I'm so sorry, but I have to put in my two weeks. And I told him the whole story, and he goes, Jen, he goes, you have won President's Club every single year for seven years. You needed to be at 90% quota to get your bonus, and you're at over 140%. He's like, let me talk to HR and see if I can get your bonus early. So he calls me the next day and says, Jen, you're getting your bonus. The moment I surrendered, things that I thought I had to wait for, God said, no, I just needed you to surrender so then I could give it to you. And so then we move out, and, um, and just so you know, also, we end up getting a full offer, cash offer. The person who wants to buy it wants a 13-day close, so we fly out, move in a weekend, and, I mean, everything just started lining up after lining up after lining up. My dad called and said, we're running this empowerment program. We want you to run it, and I just dropped to my knees and started falling because it is my dream job. It is my dream job, and I'm going to share more about that, but it's just everything fell into place once I surrendered. And... Um, The one thing that the Lord has been teaching me in my life that I feel like I want to share with you is sometimes you have to go so you can grow. You have to go so you can grow. Now, I'm not telling everyone to leave Orange County, but sometimes there's areas in your life that you need to get out of in order for growth to occur in your life. If you stay in the same way of thinking and around the same people with the same ideas, you can't grow. You see, growth allows us to become mature enough or experienced enough for the next level. Without growth, you become like a stagnant pond. You're just waiting for the insects and the bacterias and, and, and the pesticides to attack your life and your future because you can't grow. God has to um, come over us to be able to say, okay, Lord, you, you submit to the Lord and you say, I want to grow, help me, push me. And today I want to talk to you about Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And Joseph and I actually have two things in common. The first thing is we're the youngest of the kids, babies, right? And the second is um, we were both our father's favorite. And um, it's okay because my brothers know, my dad tells them that I'm the favorite. So uh, you can't compete with this, you know what I'm saying? And so um, I am the fam- family favorite and that's okay. But um, the other thing that Joseph had that I unfortunately do not, that I love about him, is that he, he was just able to interpret what the Lord was telling him through his dreams. 
Like, what a blessing is that? And so he was, he was having all these dreams, and he would tell his brothers about all of these dreams, and they hated him for it. They despised him for it. And because of that, and also because he was his, family, his father's favorite, it just fueled their fire more. And so today we're going to pick up in Genesis 37, 18, if you have your Bible. Fortunate for you, it is the first book of the Bible, so no hunting today. Hopefully you can get up to 37. If not, ask a neighbor. And we're going to go ahead and get into it. When they saw him from afar, even before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us kill him and cast him into the pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said to him, let's not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into the pit, pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might be delivered out of their hands and bring him back into his father. So it came to pass when Joseph was with his brothers, um, that his brothers took his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Galad with their camels, bearing spices, balm, myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. So Jodea said to his brothers, what proof is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh." And his brothers listened. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and took him to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brethren and said, The lad is no more, and where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats, and dipped it in the tunic of, dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, brought it to their father, and said, We have found this. Do you know it is your son's tunic or not? He recognized it. It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put a sackcloth on his waist, and mourned his son for many days. Now, just imagine this. Your brothers have sold you into slavery. And you are now on your way to a land that you do not know, with a language you do not speak, with gods you do not serve. Life for you, for Joseph, has officially become incredibly uncomfortable, to say the least. And back home, you have a daddy grieving his son's supposed death all because of one thing, envy. Envy is the ugliest of colors. It could take the most beautiful, strong, or intelligent person and strip them of everything, all because they are resentful for someone else's possessions, blessings, or qualities. Envy is something that has to be brought to the cross daily. Every single day, we have to bring any spirit that we have of envy to the cross because it is the one thing that the enemy will use to impede our spiritual maturity. All throughout Scripture, we can see how the enemy tried to attack people with envy. Look at Cain and Abel. Look at Esau and Jacob. Look at, look at Rachel and Leah. The enemy used the very thing that caused his fall to try to cause theirs because it was not just pride that the enemy thought, oh, I'm so beautiful. He was envious that he was not God. And so he's going to use the very thing that caused him to fall to try to get you to fall. And so every day we have to come and we have to submit to the Lord any envious spirit that we have because unlike Joseph's brothers, because they did not, they did the unthinkable. 
And you know, sometimes it's not just what happened to you, it's, it's who did it. It's not just that Joseph was thrown into a pit, it was that his brothers did it. It's not just that his brothers sold him as a, or that he was sold as a slave, it was that his brothers sold him. And in our life, we can say the same thing. We can be hurt by a situation, but hurt more deeper if it's someone we know. I got betrayed, but by my husband, by my wife. I got lied to, but my kid, they're gossiping about me. They're talking about me. They're saying that I'm no good, but my best friend, people you trust can hurt you more deeply. And so sometimes it's the who did it that's harder to wrap, wrap, wrap your mind around and grasp because you just thought, I never thought they would do this to me. Joseph was on his way to the next chapter of his life, and it just got harder because of the who. We continue on to chapter 39. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there, bought him, excuse me. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put everything in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. At home, Joseph had been ridiculed. He had been mocked. His brothers were literally making his life a living hell, and now he was a man of position. It took an uncomfortable move for him to be placed into the position that God had for him. His growth came by relocation. And some of us are so scared to relocate, me included, that we actually miss out on the destiny that God has for us in that new place. Now, like I said, this is not necessarily meaning everybody move out of Orange County, but there are things in your life that you can relocate out to make way for what God has for you next. And so we need to get a check in our spirit and say, Lord, what do I need to relocate out of my life? Is it certain friends? Is it certain family? Is my job maybe not the best place for me? Are there people feeding me things that are not positive in my life and I need to relocate them out so I can hear you deeper because they're yakking and I can't hear you. And so you have to relocate it out. The Bible goes on to say that Joe was a tall, fine-looking man, and, his, and Potiphar's wife noticed him. I bet, I bet she did. You know, this is my take, and this might be rude, but if your name is Potiphar, I'm going to go ahead and venture a guess that, like, you don't look like, you know, Hugh Jackman or Tay Diggs or somebody. Like, you just don't. You probably look like an Ewok. And so she noticed him. She was like, yes, please, I'll take one. And... Um, and so she begs him to go to bed with her. And he's like, nah, I'm good. I have blessing over my life. I have favor over my life. And I'm not going to waste it on a woman. Woo! I'm nervous for him. Anybody else nervous for him? Because hell hath no fury like a woman who does not get her way. Man, am I right? Don't nod. You will get told off on the way home. I'm just telling you. My husband nodded the first service. I was like, we'll talk when we get home. But it's true, right? Like, women want to get their way. And so he was like, I'm good. And he leaves. And the next time he comes in, no one's in the house. It's just her. And in my mind, I was telling the first service, I got this, this like, visual 
of like, he's on one side of the bed, she's on the other, and they're like dancing because he doesn't want to get near her. And she's like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Like, I could just see it. And he's like, no, nah, no. Nah. And he runs away and she grabs his cloak. Now this poor man is running around buck naked around the palace. Palace. Because he's trying to be, to give honor to the Lord and walk in his blessing, and she's trying to take it away. Joseph was in bondage once more. The first time was when he was sold into slavery, and the second time was when he was in jail. Every time he got into a good position, he got demoted. Two demotions that seemed hopeless. Two demotions that had to have made him feel just alone and abandoned and questioning why, and Lord, why did you bring me here and give me answers? And the most beautiful thing about the Bible that we can also take into um, practical application for our life is that God never left him. And sometimes when we're going through trials, we feel like, God, where are you? Why did you put me in this position? What's happening? Where, what's the point of it all? What's the point of it all? And then God says, hey, baby, can you trust me? I, I'm putting things into place. This will, is going to help you grow. At the end of this, you will see the purpose. But for now, can, can you just hold on? Can you just, can you just trust me? I mean, I, I made the world. Trust me. I feed the birds. Trust me. I make a way when there seems to be no way, so trust me. Because your obedience will birth purpose. Your obedience in me will birth out of it. You will see your purpose, but you need to be obedient in the wait first. Joseph's obedience to the Lord during this season was preparing him to see the purpose of his pain. And sometimes we wonder why we're in pain, but we don't want to know the purpose. We just want the pain to go away. And God said, there is a reason you are going through this. Just wait. The thing we do not want to miss in this, in this story is that trials will test your growing conditions. Trials will test your growing conditions. In Colorado, my husband and I love to plant veggies. Um, we've been in our house um, about seven years now. And um, I would say the first two years we didn't do anything. And then the last five years, we've just gotten really in to like growing vegetables. And so um, the, the thing that you have to be worried about though in Colorado is we get really late snows, like April, even like May. They really tell you unless it, until Mother's Day, do not plant anything. Um, because our snows are, they're, it's warm enough that the, it doesn't stick to the streets, but it's so heavy, that's heavy snow that it will break things. And so you're really not supposed to plant things except seeded vegetables. You can plant seeded vegetables. And so this year we planted a ton of stuff. We planted potatoes and carrots and kale and uh, spring green and spinach and Brussels sprouts and bell peppers and just this huge garden. And I told Brandon, I said, babe, I don't think our, our veggies are going to make it this year. I mean, we got four huge storms that's weighing on them. They're, they're looking sad out there. And we're both just super bummed. And did you know that every one of them made it but the Brussels sprouts? You see, they were not strong enough to withhold the storm. And because Joseph knew the Lord and he trusted in the Lord, even if, although I'm sure there was times where he, he questioned, it not only got him through the trials, but he prospered in it. The best way to know how you will do when trials come your way is to test your knowledge of the word of God and to inspect your prayer life. Because despite what people might share with you, and yes, there are people in your life that God puts into position to, to speak life into you, 
Nothing speaks more life than our Heavenly Father. And so you have got to be getting into the Word and you have got to be praying when you're going through these hard times because He's going to speak louder than anybody else. And He's going to direct you better than anybody else. Because um, for two years, Joseph was in prison. Imagine that. Two years, something he didn't even do. But for two years in that wait, God was paving a path for his prophetic dream to come into fruition. Remember those dreams that his brothers were mad about? It's about to come. You know, when we rush the process, I love to rush things. I love it. My, my husband gets mad because I'm, I'll bake something. I don't even look at the ingredients. I'm like, I got this. I know what it's like. He's like, this tastes great, hun. Because I'm rushing the process. I just want it to be done and then I can sit down and relax. And he's like, how about you just enjoy it? How about you enjoy the process? Because when we are wanting to get to the destination so bad, we miss everything to the right and the left of us. The detours of life are what lead us to the unexpected conversations and the deeper dependent on our navigator of life, which is Jesus. Sometimes you're on a road. Has, it, has anybody ever had a detour? We had this um, when we were moving out here, and I was so ticked. We were, like, you have a baby in the car. You have two, we have two dogs. We're in this tiny little Volvo, uh, and it's hot. And we're, I'm just like, what's, what's the problem here? Oh, this guy wants to get in front of us. We've been waiting here, sir. And the Lord was like, how about you calm down? How about you enjoy the fact that you are literally looking at one of the most beautiful ski resorts in Colorado that's like $9,000 to ski at? How about you look to your left and see my beauty instead of telling this man in the truck with four children by himself who's probably getting earful that he can't cut in front of you. Sometimes we have to look to the left and the right to hear what God is saying to us. We have to ask God, how can I prepare myself so when you call me up, I'm ready. For two years, Joseph had to be like, well, what's the point of this? And every time God's like, I'm preparing you, I'm preparing you, I'm preparing you. And when Joseph was finally released from prison, it was not because they found him blameless, by the way. It was because Pharaoh had a dream that no one else can interpret. And even though I'm sure part of Joseph was like, they're not even bringing me out because I'm blameless. They're, they're bringing me out because they want to use you. And God says, no, 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 I'm using you. Don't put this on him. I'm using you. I gave Pharaoh the dream. Then you're going to go then decipher, and I'm going to put you in a position, but this time at a higher position. I'm using it. I'm calling you up. The dream was this of prosperity and famine. For seven years, they would be very prosperous in the land. They would be just growing wheat like nobody's business. And then for seven other years, they would not yield a single crop. And so as Joseph is telling Pharaoh the story and, and his dream in and, and a story form, um, Pharaoh goes, okay, well, I think I trust you. So do you want to run it? God used the dream to put Joe in position for what was next to come. And sometimes the Lord will give you a dream in your heart and you say, what does this mean? Or it hasn't been fulfilled and it takes time. And God says, yeah, I gave you the dream, but wait, because I'm going to fulfill it. I'm not going to give you a dream for no reason. It then goes in to say in chapter 42, 6, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all the people. And when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. So during the seven years, people were coming all over to buy food, including Joseph's brothers. 
Now, one of the dreams that Joseph had had before his brothers had sold him was this. My sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood around and bowed down to my sheaves. His first dream was that his brothers would bow down to him, and now he's running the local food pantry, and who shows up for food? And what do they do? They bow down. And what I love the most is they didn't even know it was Joseph. The Lord's like, ha ha, I gave him a dream. I'm fulfilling it. And we're about to go in, 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 into what happens next. So he, he, they're bowed down, they get food, and Joseph recognizes them. Joseph's like, I know these are my brothers, but I'm not going to tell them yet. And so he's like, hey, listen, if you come back again, you need to bring this list of things. Otherwise, you're not getting food. One of them was Benjamin. Now, Joseph's uh, father really struggled with this because two years later, they needed food again. And he's like, I'm not gonna send another son. I already lost Joseph. I don't wanna lose Benjamin. And, and his brothers are like, no, 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 I promise. Like, we'll take care of Benjamin. Like, if anything happens, like, I'll take the brunt of it. Just, we're not gonna get food without Benjamin. And so they come down. And what's beautiful is, they, they bow down again, again, not aware of who Joseph is and also not aware that God was about to use their present to heal their past. This is the visit where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. It says in chapter 45, one, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians of the house heard, of Pharaoh heard it. He was crying so loud that the entire palace heard it. It wasn't like a two-bedroom condo. It was an entire palace because a brokenness cry is so much deeper. A brokenness cry is so much louder. A brokenness cry literally invades your whole body. And he's crying out in brokenness. And he's like, he's like listen, like, I, I, I'm Joseph. And they don't believe him. And he's like, everybody get out, get out. And he's like, I'm Joseph. D -d Does my father still live? Y'all, what you have to remember is they sold him when he was 17 years old, and now he's in his 30s, and he doesn't even know if his daddy is alive. I can't even imagine that because they were, they were close. I literally had to up my phone bill because I call my parents too much. Think about that, going 13, 14, 15 years and not even knowing if your daddy is alive. And then he goes, brothers, come close to me. And so they came, and Joseph, Joseph said, come near me. And they came, and, and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Listen how Joseph puts it. Don't worry about what you did. God used you to position me to save your life. All right, now watch this. You threw me into a pit. You told my daddy I was dead. You sold me as a slave. I served a sentence that's something I didn't even do because of you. I went to jail because of you. And now you want to come down here and you expect me to feed you? You must be out of your mind. Look at the two ways he could have responded. What we learn about Joseph's character and response 
asks the question, have you made peace with how they've hurt you? Have you made peace with how they hurt you? Because Joseph's heart was so tender. He was broken, but he was tender. He, he, he invited them into their home for dinner. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is the people that have hurt us, have we invited them into dinner or are we leaving them outside the city gates with the door shut, starving? Because Joseph's heart shows how responsible he is. He responded to his brothers from the heart, not the head. How you respond is your only responsibility. You are not responsible for anything else. Oh, well, I'm going to get them. They did this to me. I'm going to do that. Oh, my husband did this. How about you let the Lord take care of that? Your only job is to be responsible for how you respond. Your harvest is dependent on your heart. Joseph was reaping a good harvest. He was in the position he was in because of his heart. He had not allowed what was done to him by man supersede the will of God. And that's a hard one, I think. I think sometimes it's really hard because we get really hurt, and it's hard to take a step back and realize that we're all really just broken and hurting, and we need to just give love to people who hurt us. What they intended for harm, God intends to heal. And here we see God using a famine in a land to bring forgiveness to a family. It took a famine for the brothers to come down and get on their knees and surrender because they were hungry. They said, they said I'm, I'm hungry and, and I need you. Because hunger does something. Not just physical hunger, spiritual hunger, hunger, mental hunger, emotional hunger. Everything in us, if we are lacking and we are starving for it, it does something to us, doesn't it? it? It brings us to our knees. It makes you change your tune. It makes you apologize. It makes you say, Lord, I messed up, but I need you. And Lord, I, I don't know what to do with this, but I need you. And I don't know how to fix my marriage, and I need you. And I don't know how to fix my baby or have my baby come back to me, and I need you. And I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, Lord, and I need you because hunger makes you need him. You can't shut up to God and be like, give it to me. You have to get on your knees and say, I need you. And you know what's amazing about our God is that he bends down and he's like, I got you. Even if you feel like no one else has you, he's got you. And he's like, hey, guess what, baby? I got a bed and I got food for you. I want to shower you with love and mercy and forgiveness and strength and support. You are not made to do this alone. I am walking with you. I am walking it out with you. You're my family. You're, you're my daughter. You're my son. I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to leave you. And it's amazing because I really feel in my spirit that as a church, we need to be there for one another. I feel like as a church, there are people in this church that are hurting, and we need to be there for one another. 
I've gotten already emails from the first service of people telling me they are hurting and asking for prayer. We need to come together as a body of Christ and support one another through this because it is not all rainbows and Louis Vuittons, y'all. It isn't. It's about going through the hard times and it's about healing divorces and about coming alongside children that have gone astray and about de demolishing addictions that the enemy is trying to put on us. I mean, we have got to come together as a church family and support one another in this house and stop living in shame of what, what we're going through. And if you feel like someone is giving you shame, come to me because I would love to pray for you. There's people on this church staff that would love to pray for you. Please lean on us. There are people in this community that need our help. You know, there are over 775,000 people here in Orange County that are experiencing some sort of pit situation. Would you mind turning your faces to the screen? I was in Vegas. Uh, my kids dropped me off there at a tunnel. She was on heroin, okay. and I was doing a lot of meth. And she dropped me off at a tunnel really late at night. It was really dark and said, you can go live in that tunnel, Mom. You'll be okay. I'm like, what? I'm 63 years old. I was a professional dog groomer with my own shop, a car, a house, everything. I lost everything. When those pit bulls broke my back, I lost everything. I went on the streets, and my kids took me to Vegas to live with one of them, and she was on heroin. That's where, that, this was like last year. What did I do to deserve this life? God, take me home. Like within a month, my kids showed up and picked me up. Right where they dropped, right where she dropped me off, I stayed right there. I stayed right there. I didn't move. And she knew somehow, let's go check the spot where I left her. And I was still there six months later. And she, they picked me up. <laughs> I thought these people were going to yell at me, and they're in the car. They pulled up in the parking lot and I'm picking up cigarette butts for all my friends in the back of Walmart and a car pulls up and um, I look at the car and I'm like, oh my God, here we go again. These people are going to scream at me. I only weighed 98 pounds, by the way. I was very thin. And and they rolled down their window and it was both of my kids. Hi, Mom. <laughs> I haven't seen them for six months. And I just got on my, I went down to my knees. Oh my God, I'm going home. <laughs> And we all cried. We had a good cry. I threw all my drugs away. You made me empty my purse. And I would just throw your stuff away, Mom. You can't take that with you. I'm good. I don't care. I threw it all in the trash. That was a year ago. I've been clean for a year. Wow. And I haven't been clean for very long I mean, in my whole life. So I've been clean for a year. I gained a lot of weight. I'm healthy. It is what it is. There's a plan. God has a plan for me, so... Whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do. Maybe I'm not supposed to get it. Maybe I'm supposed to do something else. But I want to ride this out. And I'm riding this out to the end. That beautiful woman. Um, her name is Donna, and I had the opportunity and the complete honor to get to know her. She had a dog grooming business. A pit bull broke her back in three places, and she lost everything. She had never been homeless until she was in her 50s. And there are people here in Orange County. We need, we need to support one another here, but we also need to go out and support others. 
We have been called to be the hands and feet of Christ. We have been called to take care of widows and orphans. And there are people here in Orange County that, that need some help. And there are people here in Orange County that have shackles of addiction and depression so severe that they literally can't move. There are people here in Orange County that are being sold into slavery even in elementary school. There are people here in Orange County that literally are such financial famine that they cannot feed their children. And so we at Influence Church, we want to do what the Lord has called us to do. And we want to come alongside these wonderful, wonderful people and, and just offer a little help however we can. You know, it's time to open up the gates because the famine has been going on too long. 775,000 people in this Orange County area, y'all. We can't turn a blind eye. There are babies that need help. There are women that need to be loved on, that need to be supported. And men and and. What we're doing is we are launching an empowerment program through Women of Influence. And um, men, don't tune out because I have a call to action for you too. We are partnering with four incredible, incredible nonprofits. When I tell you that these nonprofits are so strong and they are so healthy in their mission, I'm not kidding you. We are partnering with Teen Challenge. We are partnering with Girl, uh, Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim and Cyprus. We are partnering with Olive Crest and we are partnering with Grandma's House of Hope where Donna lives. And my heart is that we have so many volunteers that they say, Jen, you have too many people. Stop bringing them. That is my goal because we can get through our routine. And yes, I'm not saying that there's not brokenness in this home. I know there is. But when you meet these wonderful people and you see what they have gone through and yet they still have hope, it inspires you. We walked into Teen Challenge and I felt the presence of the Lord so heavy, I immediately burst into tears. These people will minister to you just as much as you will minister to them. And so we want to empower you to come alongside us and support you. Now, men, you're like, this says women. Okay, I know I'm over time, but I just got to get this out. Men, you can support your woman. Okay, marry men or whatever, dating, whatever. Maybe you pick up the kids from soccer. Maybe you make dinner. Maybe you do the laundry. Maybe you help mama out so she can come alongside and help us. And if you're a single man, this is my call to action for you. Invite someone you work with. Invite your mama. Invite your sisters. Invite your aunties. Invite whoever to come alongside because it is going to radically shake them. And there is something about when you can get with somebody else and love on them and they love on you and you empower one another. So from now until December, we are going to be just doing volunteering. Just they have events going on and we're just going to, we just need people. And then come January, we're officially launching the empowerment program and we're gonna do unique things. We're gonna do unique things with each one and we're excited about it and we need people for one-time projects. We need people for reoccurring um, ways to, to give back and to assist and we'll, we'll launch that more. But if you want more information, jump on our website at womenofinfluence.today or email me at Jen Ramlett if you wanna give financially. It is now on the PushPay app. Just click on empowerment. But really, really, really what my heart wants to convey to you today is I want us to get connected as we begin this journey together of bringing freedom back to families who are in different kinds of famine. 
I love y'all. I thank you for your heart. I thank you for letting me share mine today. Uh, let's pray and we will um, get out of here. God, you are so good. I wanna just pray for every heart in this room, God. Anyone that is struggling with depression, addiction, broken marriages, broken children, broken hearts, God, I pray healing comes upon them in the name of Jesus. I pray that a supernatural feeling comes over them, that they, they only know it is the Lord, God, that they walk out of here with a renewed mind and a deeper dependence on you along the journey, God, because it is you that we need when we are in the middle of the process. I pray you bring healing back, God, in the name of Jesus. I pray that every single person in this room will wanna get involved in one way or another, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, whether it's, it's physically, whether it's you are on your knees every day praying for this, because I believe the Lord is rising up people here in Orange County to come alongside this mission and be the hands and feet of Christ. And so God, I pray that you will just talk to these people today, God, and show them where they can help, where they can get involved. God, we love you. We thank you for that we are a part of a church that, that wants to get involved in our community. We thank you, God, for our blessings and for this healthy church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.